Secrets from a coach. Thrive and maximize your potential in the evolving workplace. Your weekly podcast with Debbie Green of Wishfish and Laura Thompson-Staveley of Phenomenal Training. Debs. Law, you all right? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, finding out loads of different things. I loved the book review from last time. I certainly did my 21 packets of time and it made a huge difference. And I've prioritised the key things that I wanted to achieve and I did them. Oh, look at that. Hey, top, it top works. Top marks, top <laughs> marks. And that just sums up the the, the reason that we had for our um, Mindful Manager book club being the mini series for this month, which is we all know that learning and reading and finding out new information is good for us. But when when do you find the time in the hurly-burly of the, you know, the, the working week or whatever it is that you're balancing and the plates that you're spinning? Hence, we thought, let's take a book a week what are some of the key takeaways we've had? And from a practical point of view, given in our coaching and our facilitating aspect of what we do, and um, where are some tried and tested tools that actually people have found quite useful and that, what that means from a practical takeaway. So we've had last week, we had 4,000 weeks, which is a refresh, refreshing and quite jolting way to look at time management and what that might mean. And then our first one was your book, which was um, Surrounded by Idiots, <laughs> which was all about the art of communicating with different types of people, which leads nicely onto your choice for this third in our Mindful Manager Book Club series. So tell us about this book and what appealed to you about it, Debs. Yeah, so this one is a book by uh, Leo Lowndes, and it's called How to Talk to Anyone. Um, and what it what it showed me was people that are comfortable in those social situations of having a conversation can talk to anybody. Um, they actually can establish beneficial relationships, um, and they create opportunities to understand more about others, which in turn builds on their personal and professional success. And I know we always come across people that struggle to have good conversations and they're not comfortable maybe talking to people that they've never met before, or they're having to join a networking event where they've got to show up uh, and talk. Um, So this book really appealed to me because um, it was, I suppose for me, it's like, it's so great to talk um, and therefore don't miss the opportunity to be able to have a conversation with somebody. And her book talks you through Um, how you can get the best out of those conversations, thinking about the importance around those sort of nonverbal signs um, to make a positive first impression, Um, the verbal signs. So how do we create that instant rapport with people? Um, And also the third is the verbal signals. So that encouraging those meaningful conversations to take place um, just by doing a few little things to help you in those conversations. I loved it because it was what we're always talking about. Debs, what I th- what really engaged with me when we were chatting through how we were going to run this one was, of course, this was written in 2014. I, I think, think it was about then. Yeah. yeah, it was. So way before we even knew that the pandemic was going to trigger lots and lots of different ways in terms of the geography of how we work. So we thought it'd be cool if we go through what were your key takeaways from the book, but also adding in a 2020s spin in on it, which is from hybrid working point of view and what that means to communicate what might be that kind of build in on it. So I can't wait to have a bit of a deeper dive on those three areas. Yeah, looking forward to it, Law, um, because I think one of the things that they see is that people need to know that you like them. 
So that's the bit that connects us with us each other is that, does these people like me? So some of those cues that we maybe are not seeing on the screen that we were seeing in person are going to be invaluable to sort of just explore, as you said, through the you know the lens now. Oh, let's turn the page together, Debs. Can't wait to find out more. Let's do it. So, Debs, that's a really interesting point about how do you know if someone likes you? So why is that important? What does the book say in terms of why these types of things are so important to us? Yeah, she talks about that everybody actually wants to feel a sense of connection. Um, And in here, she says, and I'll quote her, everyone wants to feel adored, appreciated and good about themselves. And I thought, actually, that's really true. And if we approach people, that's what we want to sort of know, that actually somebody does want to get to know me. Somebody does want to understand a little bit more about me. Um, And therefore, um, it's all those social interactions that we have as to, oh, because if we're unsure in that first impression meeting, if somebody likes us or not, and we're all picking up these cues because it's from survival, right? Um, It's actually, we can feel really self-conscious and therefore, our confidence can take a knock. Um, we're not. Uh, we might stumble over our words. We just think oh, maybe they won't like me, and that's our basic instinct: is to have that. Want we all want to feel adored and appreciated and good about ourselves. Um, and therefore, being able to make that positive first impression, so that people feel that they can connect with you, and that maybe you do like me, is just so invaluable in the world of work. Great if you're face to face, law, but as we know in the lovely world of being hybrid, it can have an, um, a huge impact on whether I do feel liked or not by somebody. Yeah, because you might have had a bit of a formal or slightly sticky meeting with someone. Yeah. But if then afterwards, as you're walking down to the lift together, there's that gesture and then that thing, yeah. and actually the meeting might not have been easy, but we like each other. And then it kind of soothes away any of the little kind of um, aftermath thinking that might be going through your mind. But if I'm just clicking end call at the end of that formal interaction, where's that soothing and smoothing that then might um, happen? And different people like it in certain ways. So not everyone is going to hug each other after a meeting, but there are some people with whom that is how they would relate with each other after they'd shake hands or have a hug or some kind of physical interaction. Um, Debs, I'm also thinking those three words, what is it? Adored, appreciated and good about themselves. Yep. I've got a couple of people in my um, friendship and personal uh, um, professional network who are out there back on the dating scene again. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is where your self-esteem is in that, you know, someone else's uh, uh, you know, whether they text reply or not, you know, within yeah. five hours or five days or five minutes, you know, I mean, the amount of thinking that goes on with that. And I think how useful that would be if everyone just went around saying, look, let's just cut through it all. I want to feel adored. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciated and good about myself. Yeah. <laughs> Are you the right person to do yeah. that? Can right, you fine, do that let's... for me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If not, let's just say goodbye gracefully. And yeah. Yeah, I think it might save a load of angst. Oh. So um, I think that's very interesting. But we don't do that, right? Though, do we? We never put out what we want to receive. And I think one of the things she says is um, being able to switch your focus from how you want to feel to how you want to make them feel. So it's really interesting, all the self-talk that we have that, you know, we know that if we're doubting ourselves or we think we're not confident and we think that, or I'm not good enough to be in this room, then that's how you're going to show up. 
So, and is that what you want other people to know about you? So that first impression is huge. Um, yeah. So it's really powerful to consider how do I want them to feel about me? But actually that starts with how I feel about myself. So yeah, quite a lot of um, work sometimes needs to happen with how I feel about myself. And Debs, very practically, in fact, I was um, mentoring someone on a big conference that they'd been invited to go along and sit at a networking lunch that was in the middle of it. And this this was a big milestone moment for this person. So that little tool that you shared, um, that you've shared lots, and we use it a lot now as well, which is the think, feel, do. So what do I want people to think, feel and do as a result of my little introduction I'm going to do and the impacts that might then have? And it enables you just to pre-rehearse in your mind how you might then um, interact, whether that is, you know, face-to-face in the environment, or as you said, it's so interesting now in our hybrid dialing in, what might that mean in terms of just planning? What's the impact I then want to have on others? Mm. Yeah. And I think she talks about that um, sort of the first impression, the silent signals that we give. So how do we even walk into a room? But actually, how do we even come onto a screen now is is really going to be something we need to consider. Um, Because she said 80% of people's first impressions of you influence the way that they then react with you. Um, And other people say that actually, you know, when we link it back to Albert Miraban's Maslow her needs piece, he says 93% of communication is nonverbal. So the way we communicate, I think it's 7% words. 38% 38% is tone of voice. So, that's right. And, and then, then the rest 55% is 55% yeah. body language, yeah. Well, he's saying add those two together, 7% are your words, but 93% are the way that you just show up. And you think, how do we do that in the world of work today to get the right connection that we need to feel liked and that people do want to get to know us? And that's before we even start the conversation. Oh my God, Deb, you are so right. So even that tone of morning. Yeah. (laughs) Now, if you've walked into a physical um, uh, room, you might be able to carry that off with some fun humour. So if people have seen you rolling your eyes because you're covered in rain and you're shaking your umbrella to then say morning would make people laugh because then they would think, oh, I can see why she's or he's been like that because of the way they've walked in. If you've just logged onto a screen and you're the first person I'm going to interact with in my working world that Monday and I've got three people going morning, (laughs) you are so right, Devs. I mean, already you're thinking... It's going to be a tough one, you know, yeah. so, it, you know, it's, it's going to feel like an arduous week where it's just that slight taking 10 seconds out before that call to think, right, let me have a glass of water. Let me get ready for the week. What's the impact I want to have on others? Morning. Yeah. And it just changes that tone. Yes, so in a real world, you can probably get away with a grumpy tone of voice a bit more than you can in a, uh, uh, than maybe in a virtual world because there's no physical chemistry that means people will connect with you because you're physically there in the room and there's less context. So we can't share in what your arduous journey was like getting to the laptop because we can't see it. Whereas we can see it if you've like had a nightmare parking to get to the office, which means there'll be an empathy there. Whereas if you just basically come on the screen and just sounded really grumpy. So yeah. I'm going to take you at <laughs> yeah. face value, which means Absolutely. they're a grumpy person. Yeah. I hate my job. I'm going to look for somewhere yeah. else to work. <laughs> yeah. And that could potentially set the tone for the whole rest of that meeting. Because if that person thinks, oh, maybe they don't like me and they've turned up grumpy without understanding the context that sits behind it, they're 
potentially going to think it's something to do with them. So therefore, the rapport isn't being built well. And the maybe the language that they start to use isn't good enough, if you like, for them to think about, oh, do they like me? Am I going to be adored in this moment? You know, putting in that inverted commas. Because, you know, we we how do we appear approachable and likable? Um, because that comes down to, again, our body language, but then also those other cues that we give to people in the words that we then use. So I think it's fascinating to see that difference, especially now, you either turn somebody on or turn somebody off um, and then that will impact on the communication that you've got or how you may not be able to talk to anyone because of what's gone before or how you feel about it. So I think it's um, it's important to think about some of those body language cues that we used to have face-to-face just aren't there on the screen. And I know you've got some great tips when you're on screen to meet, you know, enable people to feel like you're connected and have rapport. So let's hear some of your, your key tips around that law in a moment. The first thing is uh, we, we all know, well, and if you don't know, all the research is suggesting if you're dialing in on a video call, you are far more likely to have rapport and impact and check everyone is all right. So this isn't about masking and pretending. It's having a genuine connection and just checking with cameras on. So doing what you can to prompt it so people are nudged towards the, this is a video camera uh, meeting, I'm going to put my cameras on. We've got some organisations we work with, which right from day dot, you just would not have your cameras off. And so it's immediately obvious if someone isn't feeling great because the camera might be off and you can just check in on them. We've got some organisations with whom one or two might put a camera on and you have to ask people to put their cameras on. And and you can feel it then, you know, the, the interaction then warming up. So what could you do in the invite to a meeting? Just a nudge, looking forward to seeing you, or it'd be great to put a face to a name or be an overt. This is going to be a cameras on meeting, looking forward to seeing you all. So cameras on and nudging towards that will, will just then help that the level of interaction. The second thing is when we are there and we've got our cameras on, the challenge of being on a laptop with a webcam or whatever your um, system is, is I feel like I'm looking at you. But when I'm looking at you, you're actually, I'm looking downwards, especially if you're a webcam, the camera is above where you're looking or below. So what can help attract your eyes to keep looking at the eyes of others? Because we'll always look to eyes because that's what humans are programmed to do. So um, is to put a little pair of sticky googly eyes next to the webcam. So wherever the camera is on your system to nudge yourself to keep looking up towards that, which then creates a sense of eye contact from the other person is to put a little pair of eyes and they cost like 10 pence. So, um, you know, so that's, yeah, a really simple little kind of hack because humans are programmed to look towards eyes, but in a virtual environment, what feels like eye contact to me might actually mean you're looking at, down at my forehead because I'm looking down at the screen. And then the third thing that can then help is to create some kind of symmetry or synchronicity in how we um, move together. So there's been some fascinating research done on when teams wave to each other at the start and at the end of a meeting, ah, there is a sense of increased engagement 
and relation and positive relating with each other on those teams that do that. Whereas if there's no kind of physical waving or smiling at the same time. So whoever is chairing, either topping or tailing that meeting to create some kind of body language trigger. So if the chair does a little sign out, thumbs out, whatever, it doesn't have to be anything too cheesy, but it creates the um, urge in others to then do the same. And if we feel like we are moving together from a body language point of view, that is your mirroring. So in a real world face-to-face meeting, mirroring happens naturally. One person gets up to go and leave, everyone else follows suit. In a virtual world, how do you get that sense of we are moving together and just that little check-in and check-out, a little body language move. According to the researchers, there is an increased sense of engagement and togetherness with those teams that have those little kind of gestures together. So that fascinated me, that, Debs. And from a very simple point of view, just smiling together at the start and the end of a meeting can um, just make that meeting feel much more um, like we are having some genuine connection here rather than just randomly all looking at videos of each other. Yeah. And and she mentions that in the book, actually, Law, around um, like you're already close friends and that um, to trick your body, if you like, into sending positive signals out so that just that wave means, oh, we are friends. We are together in this. And she talks about, you know, pretending you're already close friends enables you to have that connection with people. And I thought that was really interesting because if they can tune into the body language, which she says, um, again, it's really important. So how do we do that? And it's not about, um, she talks also about not giving that crazy manic smile as soon as you meet someone for the first time, either face-to-face or on screen, like you're sitting there like the Cheshire cat. Um, <laughs> with face ache. Oh my face- God, oh. smiling. <laughs> um, because she says that can put people off. Um, because oh, what they feedback see, moment, Debs. Thanks. Yeah, I know. Yeah, when you too go, much, oh, Law. Too much. Too much. Unless they know you. So if it's the first time, they might go, "Oh, what's going on here?" So this welcoming smile. So where do you put your face in between? You know that resting bee face and that over smiley manic, you know, joker face. It's like where do you find the middle ground, especially on screen? Whereas in face to face, you're more likely to naturally just pause for a moment look somebody in the eye and then you smile, which is what she suggests we do because our instinct is to give that warm, welcoming, big smile. But actually it can turn people away because they go, I don't know you. So it's really interesting how, again, I wonder if they're like me, that wanting to be involved, wanting to be part of something, can they be my friend? It's just that instinctive that's within us because we would then be in survival mode. Yep, they're on my side. We're going to survive this together. So it's fascinating how all of this trickery, if you like, goes back into our old brain. Oh my God, and Debs, I've just joined up some dots. Go on. So you know the classic thing about rapport, which is people like people like me. Yes. Now in a face-to-face environment, if I'm smiling at you, Debs, and you're not in that mode smiling, the difference isn't obvious because you haven't quite registered is my facial expression the same as hers? In a video call, you can instantly see yep. one of us is smiling and the other wasn't, yes. one isn't. <laughs> because you can immediately monitor yes. where am I at in relation to the others. Whereas in a face-to-face, you can't monitor yourself unless you've got a mirror in front of you. You won't catch yourself and therefore it won't be immediately obvious 
this meeting is not going very well because the two of us have got completely different facial expressions. So how do you not become overly obsessive and overly worried about your own behavior? Because you can see yourself on the camera um, and uh, what might just so you can relax and then kind of kind of enjoy. So we know some people, including one of us within the team, who much prefers it when you can hide self view. So you're not constantly looking at yourself whilst the other person, because for some of us, that distracts us. We're too busy looking at ourselves and what we might look like. And actually, if the conversation is about the other person, then it's it's getting on their level. Yeah, it is. And that's that moving it into the positive signals that you can, can send out to go, okay, what do I want them to think about me as they walk away from this conversation? Do they want me to feel like I am approachable? I do think that whatever they have to say is worthwhile. So going right the way back to that beginning, what she talked about, I think it's really important so how do we do it and do that well? Because as you said, the eye contact is really important. How do we tune into people's body language? You know, Do we mirror them as you've mentioned already? Or you know, do we actually take notice of some of the things that they're doing? And because as you said, if we can match what some people are doing, the better it is for them. So we can have better meaningful conversations, as she said, by making sure that you've maybe thought about how you want to come across maybe thinking about what you want them to think about you as well, but also having some, I suppose, some responses if you're not confident yet to approach people and talk to anyone is not to just close the conversation down. It's to be able to continue that conversation um, with, you know, a couple of key things like, you know, rather than what do you do? Well, I do this. Uh, oh, that's lovely. Where do you go with that conversation? Whereas, you know, you could say, I work in this place and I've been spending my time doing this and this and this because this is really important. What have you been working on? And it's just a little shift from closing the conversation to opening it up because you're you're sharing a bit about you, but then you're inviting the other person to share something about them as well. Um, and it does take a level of confidence, but I always say, you know, I'm if your mindset is, I'm doing this because I want to understand it from their map of the world, which what she says is builds empathy through those mirroring techniques and questions. Actually, then you take the hot spot, if you like, the light away from you because you're putting that person at ease. You're getting them to talk. You're sharing a little bit about you. Like I'm, I work for this company. I've been working on X, Y, and Z. And you know, what about you? What you've been working on? The other person will automatically respond in a different way rather than just saying, what do you do for a job? So little techniques like that are in that book, which can really help. Debs, I love that. Mm. So for anyone here that's maybe got a networking moment, whether that's internal or external, or even just a bit a larger than usual face-to-face meeting or an online meeting, you know, that you've then got, that simple shift, those questions, I, I think that's brilliant. Because what that also, you're doing a little bit of disclosure. So this is me, um, this is the role I've got, and these are our hot topics at the moment. How's about yours? So a bit of disclosure, you can then say, I'm not going to try and trick you or or, um, you know, you, you, the more we disclose, the more the other person can start to read you, which then means they start to trust you. And then that open conversation of what are you working on or what are your hot topics or what are your current challenges means the other person doesn't have to feel like they've got to come back perfect. They're just responding to a question you've asked rather than this is what I do. And, 
you know, some people might at that point be thinking, I'm not quite sure what I do actually. Yeah. It's all so messy, my uh, role. Yeah. So a lot of roles have become so messy and so involved in 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 things that might have been typically outside the reach of a finance assistant, for example. But actually, what are your hot topics? And then it empowers us to be able to share what we're doing and, and start the conversation going. Yeah, I think so. And that empathy bit, and we always talk about empathy. If I can understand you um, from your map of the world, then I can learn how to adapt and flex my style to get the best out of you. Because if in that moment, that person does want to feel adored and appreciated and feels good about themselves, then some of that sits with me to create that space. And I know we you talk that about in coaching is how do we build rapport? How do we come across as approachable and all of that? Same with facilitating, right? We can turn up to a room and absolutely set the tone or we can turn up to a room and set the tone so that people learn and are in that um, okay space to be able to develop. So her book is really has got quite a few different techniques in it, which for anybody that is just a bit unsure about how they might be um, able to talk to anyone, the, her book gives you some techniques, but I think we just put a spin on it because that was written pre-pandemic and now we have to think differently about how we show up on a screen as well as in person. So just giving it some thought, I think, is important, which I think would be my call to action, Law, would be to just consider what is it you want, how do you want them to feel but also, therefore, how am I going to feel in order to enable that to happen? So my intent is to be approachable or my intent is to be open to hear or communicate well. Then I'll show up that way, which will enable that other person to feel that actually I do care about them and I do want to know about them. So that's my call to action. Debs, love it. My share of the secret would be, I think much of what you've shared from this book are real practical skills for transforming a service experience. So so I've just been listening as well, not only thinking of our internal sort of team in, uh, interactions and particularly the hybrid bit as well, but how do you equip people with that calm confidence to strike up conversation with a customer? From an internal customer service point of view, strike up relationships with different people within an organisation where your paths might not usually cross, so you have to purposely make them cross to be able to collaborate. So I think um, much of these tips that, you know, hopefully we can share from this one, but also if you read the book yourself, is what might that mean for any pockets of the organisation that you see where service and service experience is really important? And that'd be my share the secret. So whether it's your role or someone else that you know, if service experience and service interactions are a hot topic for them at the moment, this might be a fresh perspective on, well, actually, ultimately, what does a great human service experience look like? We're able to talk to anyone and it's got that kind of interaction. So that would be my share the secret. If you know for anyone, this is a hot topic, get them to listen to this and it'll give them a quick, quick download on some things that can help spark some thinking and role model some practical behaviours as well. So they start to catch yeah. on. Yeah, definitely. And I think it links to all the books we've sort of covered so far and, and are the last in our series next week, right, which is one of your all-time favourite books and I love it. Uh, we're going to talk about The Obstacle is the Way. So I'm looking forward to that one, Law. Yay! Yes. <laughs> can't wait. I'll see, see you next week. Oh yeah, can't wait. Debs, <laughs> have right. a fab week. Love you. You too. Love you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at secretsfromacoach at aol.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you're a Spotify listener, give us a rating as it makes it easier for us to share the secret with others.